In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation. And as always, it's great to be with all of you. And we always like to start out our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many wonderful titles. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the Mother of the Church. And Mary is the Mother of each and every one of us. Also, when we pray the Hail Holy Queen at the end of the Rosary, we invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's turn to Mary and ask Mary to pray for us and to pray with us as we say the prayer that Mary loves most. And that prayer is the Hail Mary, also known as the Angelic Salutation. Together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now I'd like to invite to be with us our spiritual director. Our spiritual director. And our spiritual director has many titles. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. Also known as the Paraclete. Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our souls. Holy Spirit is also our consoler as well as our counselor. Holy Spirit is also our sanctifier in our pursuit of holiness, the universal call to holiness that All of us should be pursuing a life of sanctity. He's the sanctifier. The Holy Spirit is also our interior master. St. Paul reminds us in these words. He says we really don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's uh, beg the Holy Spirit to give us His presence, to give us a lot of light in our intellect, and to set our hearts on fire. On fire with divine love. As we pray the classical prayer to the Holy Spirit, the sweet guest of our souls. Together. Come, Holy Spirit, 
fill the hearts of your faithful. And enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful, by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. John Nuadius, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, Pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. How true it is, my friends, the family that prays together stays together. And a world at prayer is a world at peace. So when I celebrate I'll be praying for all of you on your intentions in the greatest of all prayers. And that prayer is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's right. No greater prayer in the world than the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So I'd like to offer these specific intentions. The first would be I'd like to pray for all of us that we will be open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps this could be our prayer during the course of the day. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. My next intention, I'd like to pray for your families. For the conversion of our families and the family members. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said it very clearly. 
What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul in the process? I'd like to pray for the conversion of our families, for the sanctification of our family members. I'd like to pray also for the salvation of our family members. Never forgetting that the primary purpose of our life, my friends, is we're here to get to heaven. We're here to get to heaven. And finally, let's never get tired of praying for those who are dying. Let's never get tired of praying for those who are dying. that those who are dying would open up their hearts to God's infinite mercy. That those who are dying, even though maybe they've lived bad lives, would turn and beg for the Lord's infinite mercy. Those are our intentions that I'll be offering in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass today for all of you. So my friends, before entering into the first reading today, which is the letter of St. Paul to Timothy, in which he describes the qualities of a good bishop and a good deacon, The responsorial psalm is a beautiful prayer. I will walk with blameless heart. Then we're in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus carries out a miracle and he raises a dead man to life. Three times in the Gospels we see Jesus raising a dead person to life. But I'd like to make a, a, I'd like to make a pastoral commentary and then we can move into our readings I heard this uh, this um, this story on, on the ra- Catholic radio I'd like to make a comment on it because this is something very commonplace today even though it's sinful it's a story of a, of a young couple fiancés that they're planning to get married. So they've saved up money to buy their home, which they have done. And they've already got their wedding plan within the year. But they have their home. So the fiancé, the the man says, well, He's 30, she's 27. Well, we've got the house, even though we're not married in the church yet, we, sh- we could start to live together. We should start to live together. 
The woman objects to this, saying we really shouldn't because my parents brought me up with good Catholic principles not to live together before. Also, this would be a bad example. This would be a very bad example to the people that know us. And also, this would be an occasion of sin, where we would be falling into sin, most definitely. The young man is angry, saying, well, we're, we've known each other for such a long time. We've saved up money for this house. Who cares if we're living together a few months before the marriage? And it said that when they went to um, the pre-Cana meeting, they didn't, those who were organizing the pre-Cana did not mention the reality of cohabitation. And that's what it, cohabitation means you're living together before receiving the sacrament of holy matrimony. And really what should happen is this girl might consider not even marrying this guy, even though they have the home. Because basically he wants to have relations before they get married. And that's a, that's a mortal sin. So I told you that story because this is the society in which we live. Remember as a child, I don't remember any couples, Catholic couples that were living together. They were married in the church. By the way, when there's a marriage, it's not so much the bishop, the priest, or the deacon that marries you, but you marry each other by your mutual consent. The priest, the bishop, or the deacon is the witness that's officiating over the ceremony. When I arrived in California, already about 30 years ago, just a good number of the couples were getting married in the church. Now, Teresa, who's doing the, the baptismal preparation, she'll tell me if there are 10 couples that get their children baptized, one or two of them are actually married in the church. So I'm starting off on this uh, on this note because this is a society in which we live. And uh, you you have many of you have children, some of you even have grandchildren. Perhaps some of you even have your children that are not married yet in the church. Some of you have younger children who are not married yet. So really what I'm trying to say by means of this this anecdote is you as parents, as aunts and relatives have great clarity on this issue related to Couples getting married. Catholic couples, they have to get 
married in the church. Married in the church. And sexual relationships between the man and the woman should not be done when they're when they're engaged, when they're fiancés only once they have received the sacrament of holy matrimony such that the marital act has as its purpose mutual love between the husband and wife married sacramentally but also the purpose of the marital act, conjugal act is procreation And when we say the word procreation, it means this. That both the husband and the wife, the man and the woman, engaged in sexual intimacy, have to be open to the possibility of bringing a child into the world. That's why the word procreation is a technical word. Procreation means that the husband and wife, they're collaborating with God. Collaborating with God to bring a new person into existence. The husband and wife provide the material element. But in the moment of conception, God himself intervenes. John Paul II intervenes. I'm I'm sorry. God himself intervenes and he infuses an immortal soul in the moment of conception. Okay, so that's my pastoral moral commentary this morning. I think it's very pertinent because all too many couples today, they start off by cohabitation, just living together or possibly just getting married civilly. That's not enough. When they do weddings, and they do many of them, I had one last Saturday, I have two this coming Saturday. Very often I'll preach giving a summary of one of Venerable Fulton J. Sheen's books. And the book is on marriage. In the name of the book, it takes three to get married. The husband, the wife, and Jesus Christ. So couples that start to live together, they do not invite Jesus Christ into their state of life, but actually they invite the devil. So it's Mary, Tom, and the devil himself because they're choosing to live in the state of mortal sin. All right. What am I going to do now? I'm just going to take I'm going to take the reading of St. Paul to Timothy. I'm just going to give you a summary of it in my own words and then we'll move into 
the responsorial psalm in the gospel. St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, he gives the qualities of a bishop and a deacon. I'd like to speak briefly about that. Holy Orders. Holy Orders is one of the seven sacraments. There are three different levels in Holy Orders. The Diaconate, the Presbyterate, and the Episcopacy. (coughs) Those are the technical words. A deacon, a priest, and then the bishop. I'd like to tell you a personal anecdote related to this topic in my own life. Thanks be to God that there are seminarians that went to St. John's as a result of my 10-week spiritual exercises program. But a year ago I was hearing confessions and a young priest came to help me out from Southgate and he had gone through my spiritual exercise program. He was ordained about a year. So the spiritual exercises, they they work and they help. And at the end of the month, one of the young men that did the spiritual exercise in my parish, he'll be ordained a deacon. Jorge Sanchez with Jonathan, both of them will be ordained deacons. The exercises help out young men to discern their vocation. As a result of this, the head of the seminary, his name was Father Gustavo, hearing of the exercises program that I gave, probably the seminarians, they wanted me to go and give give them their, it would be their retreat. It would be the retreat We're going to be a retreat in Advent in preparation for Christmas. So this is about two years ago. As a result of as a result of the pandemic, I could not go in person. I could not go in person. Because most of the seminaries were in were in their homes, it was when the, the pandemic was really strong. But I gave the retreat online, and it was actually December eighth, December eighth, and I was able to give two talks. And these talks, I thought, were very pertinent and important for future priests. 
first talk I gave to these seminarians, and some of them are now priests, is I gave them a talk on the Blessed Virgin Mary. Saying that as priests, there's a saying, behind every successful man, there must be a woman. Priests, <coughs> deacons, and bishops in the Latin church. Make a promise of celibacy. So insisted upon these seminaries that they cultivate a loving, tender devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Every priest should have a loving, tender devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'll give you an example. On May 25, 1986, I was ordained by St. Pope John Paul II. What a privilege. Pope St. John Paul II gave me as a gift, he gave me a rosary. And by giving me a rosary, as well as a rosary to all the newly ordained priests, Pope John Paul II was saying to me, as well as the newly ordained priests, Love Mary. Love Mary. And show your love for Mary by praying by praying the most holy rosary. Pope John Paul II said that the rosary is his favorite prayer. In the beginning of his twenty fifth year as Pope John Paul II published an apostolic letter. And the name of that apostolic letter is the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Rosary. I love that apostolic letter. And that was the inspiration for your servant Christ, Father Broom, to write my second book which is Consecration to Jesus through Mary through the Mysteries of the Holy Rosary as well as the Seven Sorrows of Mary. So that was my first talk to these uh, seminarians and I think some of the priests were following online also. The second The second talk I gave in the afternoon was I decided to give them a talk on one of my favorites, on Fulton Sheen. On Fulton Sheen. And given that I'm giving a comment on the first reading today where St. Paul speaks about what are the qualities of a of a bishop, a deacon, the ordained ministry? 
Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, I gave them a talk on what Sheen would always promote among the priests and the bishops. Perhaps many of you, many of you know that when, when a bishop arrives at 75, according to canon law, which is the law of the church, he's obliged, according to canon law, to send in his letter of <coughs> of uh, demission is a technical word, which means retirement. Now it's up to the Holy Father to decide whether or not he'll accept that letter of retirement from exercising his episcopacy over his diocese and often at 75 the bishop may not have sufficient health to carry on that responsibility. So Fulton Sheen, but the Pope can prolong it if he feels that the bishop is strong enough. So Fulton Sheen, he was the Archbishop of Rochester, New York. At 75, <coughs> he sent in his letter of retirement to Pope Paul VI. And Pope Paul VI accepted that letter of resignation. Fulton Sheen is going to live another another nine years. He'll die at 84, the same age as, as John Paul II. But Fulton Sheen did not retire from preaching and teaching and exercising his apostolic work. Quite the contrary. Fulton Sheen decided that he would dedicate his last years most especially to the formation of priests and bishops. That's right. The formation of priests and bishops. And how, how did he do this? He did this by means of giving retreats. And these would often be these would often be like weekend retreats. But inevitably Fulton Sheen would always insist that the priests and bishops would make the proposal to make their daily holy hour most specifically in 
if possible, to make their daily holy hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament, in front of the Real Presence, where Jesus is truly present in His body, blood, soul, and divinity. Fulton Chain would call this the Hour of Power. And he said that for more than 50 years as a priest, he never missed making his holy hour even once. And Sheen went on to say this to the priests and the bishops. When you preach and teach the people, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. But he said that when I preach, the the people listen. He said the reason being is because of the hour of power. The hour of power. So Fulton Sheen insisted upon the importance of making the hour of power. And that was the the essence of my talk I gave to the seminarians. Is that as future priests, they would have to make a decision to make their daily holy hour. Now, what is the origin of this in the life of Fulton Sheen? The story or the history of the origin of the holy hour that Fulton Sheen mentions. (coughs) It goes back to a a bishop that came out of communist China. And he told this story that in communist China, the practice of the faith was persecuted. So one occasion, the communist soldiers entered into a church. And there was a little girl that was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, but in a hidden way. They opened up with their rifles. They started to shoot within the church. Some of the bullets hit the statues, the wall. And there was one soldier that aimed at the tabernacle door, 
and he shot the bullets at the tabernacle. The force of the bullets ripped the door of the tabernacle off and riveted into the ciborium where the hosts were present. And the hosts were scattered on the ground. And there was about a little bit more than 30 hosts scattered on the ground. And the soldiers stormed out of the church. Not aware of the presence of the, I think it was a 12-year-old girl, Chinese little girl that was a good, devout Catholic. She was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. <coughs> the little girl, aware of the hosts that were strewn on the floor in front of the tabernacle, the girl came the following day and made her, her holy hour. And this time the hosts were on the ground. This would probably be a good, probably good 70, 70 years ago. She made her holy hour, then she bowed down, and with her tongue, she received Holy Communion, because back then, lay people could not touch the host with their hands. So she made her holy hour, and then she concluded her holy hour by receiving the host on her tongue. So she returned the following day, then the day afterward, and would she make her holy hour and conclude the holy hour by receiving Holy Communion? I think there's about 34 hosts in total. So the girl did this every day for more than a month. Finally, there was one host left. So the girl went into the church she made her holy hour. She received the host. In that moment, the soldiers barged in to the church. This time they noticed the little girl. And one of the soldiers, he took, he took his rifle, the butt of the rifle, and bludgeoned the girl to death. So the girl was killed. After having made 34 holy hours and receiving holy communion 34 days in a row, preventing a desecration. Fulton Sheen, hearing this as a Right around when I think he was ordained a priest, around that time, he was so impressed by the faith 
by the heroism, by the love of this girl for the Eucharist. He was so impressed that Fulton Sheen said that if this girl could make the holy hour in these dangerous, precarious circumstances, why couldn't he make it in the, in the United States? So in a very real sense, this girl can be considered a martyr for the holy hour. A Eucharistic martyr of the holy hour. So my friends, this was the retreat that I gave to many of the future priests of the biggest diocese in the United States, the Diocese of Los Angeles. And what I was insisting upon for them as future priests, that these future priests had to have two great loves, two great loves. And the love would be for the Blessed Virgin Mary. So it was the feast day of the Immaculate Conception. I gave them a talk on, on love for Mary. Love for Mary. Behind every successful man, there must be a woman, and the woman in their lives shall be Mary. Lovely lady, blessed in blue. Mary Sayers' poem that Fulton Sheen would often quote. And Fulton Sheen said that when he dies, when he dies, Fulton Sheen really believes that when he goes before Jesus, Jesus will say, I know someone who speaks very highly of you. And that is my Blessed Mother. I hope that when I die and when you die, that Jesus will say, I know someone that speaks very highly about you. And that is my mother. And because she loves you and you loved her, you are welcome to my home. That is one of my greatest consolations. On Sunday, I was speaking with this woman who says she's a Catholic, but she does not have devotion to Mary. And I said, Do you love your children? Of course. Do your children love you? Of course. Well, Jesus loves his mother. His mother loves him. And Jesus loves those who love the person that he loves most, his blessed mother. And the woman couldn't really respond to that. 
I gave her one of the most simple arguments. And I gave another argument I gave to her because she's probably tainted by the Jehovah Witnesses and the Protestants. Is they speak that you can't talk to Mary. She said there's one mediator between God the Father and Jesus Christ, which St. Timothy speaks about. Then he gave her another biblical passage because I think she was relying upon the sacred scripture, which she should. Which she should. And I gave her John chapter 2. What is John chapter 2? We have the wedding feast of Cana. The wedding feast of Cana, that's right. Trying to prove this great devotion to Mary. And priests should have a great love for Mary. And be able to defend Mary in a very kind way. But a very cogent and convincing way. There at the wedding feast of Cana. This woman even knew the passage. But she couldn't interpret it properly. The wedding feast of Cana. They ran out of wine. Jesus worked his first miracle in his public life. This is John chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Jesus worked his first miracle worked his first miracle by turning water into wine. But also, we have the last words of the, we have the last words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. John chapter two, verse five, which Mary says to the servants, "Do." Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. My friends, in Jesus and Mary, those were the those are the last recorded words of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Do whatever he tells you. Though that, my friends, I consider to be about about the best advice we have in the Bible, in the whole world. We are called, my friends, to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. That's so true. 
We're called to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. No better advice. How do we how do we how do we know how do we know that we love God? It doesn't be depend upon feelings or our emotional state. Our love for God, my friends, doesn't depend upon feelings and emotions. They come and go, kind of like the weather. But rather, we show that we love God, my friends, by obedience. That's right. We show that we love God by obedience. Not by feelings, but by obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus also said, he said, not all those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But those who do, the will of my Heavenly Father. So my friends, my friends, I'd like to invite all of you. This was my commentary today on the letter of St. Paul to Timothy and the advice he gives to bishops and and bishops and deacons. Let us pray, my friends, for vocations to the priesthood Let us pray for newly ordained priests. We just had two within the past couple months. Let's pray for two of our young men who will be ordained deacons, Jorge and Jonathan, September 30th, right around the corner. Let's pray for future vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. Because, my friends, Jesus said, the harvest is rich, but the laborers are few. Let's pray for older priests. And in a very special way, very special way, St. Paul speaks about the qualities of a good bishop. Let us pray in a very special way for our bishops. The bishop has what is called in Vatican II the fullness of the priesthood. There are three different levels. 
diaconate, presbyterate, episcopacy. The bishop has the fullness of the priesthood. So let's pray. Let's pray in a very special way. For priests. That priests will imitate, try to imitate the high priest, the eternal priest. And his name is Jesus Christ. So my essential message today, my friends, was the the retreat that I gave to the seminarians about two and a half years ago. In my insistence for these future priests were two practices. Great love, the great love for Mary, especially loving the Most Holy Rosary. Great love for Mary, especially the Most Holy Rosary. And second, I insisted so much for the young men that they have to cultivate a deep love and friendship for Jesus Christ by visiting Jesus present. In the Blessed Sacrament. In the Tabernacle. Do you know that Venerable Fulton J. Sheen, he died December 9th, feast of Juan Diego. And it was 1979, but Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, he died in front of of the Blessed Sacrament. What a beautiful way to go. And he'd always say, goodbye and may God bless you. So let's pray for priests. Let's pray for bishops. Let's pray because the harvest is rich and the labors are few. Pray for more priests, but holy priests. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.